Welcome to what is the launch of a brand new series called Tables Turned. Yes, another podcast to add to the hundreds of thousands out there, but I think this one is a little bit special. I admire the people who provide others with a platform, and it's never been more important to be able to do so. And asking the right questions is at a premium. In a time when there's so much out there with podcasts, 24-hour TV, social media, streaming, gaming, it's all calling for our attention. They are the ones who make us care and bring us closer to the people whose stories need telling. This is my why. My name's Dan McLean, and in this series I'll be talking to people who I've got to know and admire to find out how they do it. What are the secrets to opening up those small windows into a life for a moment? This second episode of the series was actually the first one I recorded back on a busy May bank holiday in a bar at Waterloo Station. Hence some of the noise you can hear in the background. David very kindly took time out of his busy schedule to chat through his career and he has some fantastic stories to tell from that journey. From getting his big break into presenting through a BBC talent competition back in 2000 to why Tottenham legend David Ginola provided a tough lesson in what not to do when interviewing someone. David is one of the nicest people in the industry and gives back as much as he can, helping to guide new talent through on his La Liga Lowdown podcast and taking time out to speak to people such as myself. His passion for what he does is there for all to see and he has gained so much experience through his days at Radio 1 to being one of the mainstays of Sky Sports. Thanks to David again for his time. This is an episode that you will take so much from, as I did. The hour I spent with him flew by so quickly and the stories are fascinating to listen to. Before we get underway, do take a listen to episode one, which has gone out at the same time as this and is with the fantastic guys from the Creative Rebels podcast. If you can give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or follow wherever you're listening to this, that would be a massive help. And do pass this on to someone you know who you think will enjoy this. On with the show. Here's David, and I'll catch you again at the end of this chat. Thank you very much for taking the time. No worries. Especially on a bank holiday. Oh, don't worry. We've turned, I, it, I, I we've turned it into a family day trip now. Well, so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, don't worry. I mean, I actually, I'm used to working bank holidays anyway. True. Sport and often, you know, April, Easter, um, Christmas. They're all they're all you know work, work days for me. Boxing day. I've, I've never had one off. So since I, since I can remember, no, no, not a single one. Wow. That's all right. But I mean, my theory is beyond this. I've probably interviewed over 120 people okay. from podcasts. I've done events as well, not to your not to your, to your level at all. Oh, come on. But doing kind of panels, one on ones, those type yeah. of things. And it's like, how can I get better at this? Okay. So I'm okay. No, I th- I'm sure, well, I'm sure you're pretty better, good. I want to get better no, at right, no, it. So no, it's very, very like, admirable. This is quite a meta podcast in yeah. interviewing people about interviewing people. Yes, yes. I did actually see you recently, you did the World Football Summit. Yes, that's right, yeah. So going away from the kind of podcast and the broadcast side, mm. which you actually said was one of your kind of all-time favourite experiences because you got to sit there on the panel with Christian Carambo, Marientes, Mendieta. Yeah, Mendieta and Fernando Sanz, who, who played for Real Madrid. And his uh, his dad was the president of Real Madrid at the time as well, which I can't imagine the pressure. But uh, yeah, that was that was an all-time high for me. Was that um, because who was involved? Yes, I'm a Valencia fan, so Gaisca Mendieta is an absolute legend, and I've got to know him as a friend, and you know, worked with him closely on a number of occasions. Uh, through Sky, obviously, was our first meeting presenting La Liga, 
but he is such a lovely person. He's he's so cool. He's a DJ as well, which you know I <laughs> I was thinking, how do you have time for all of this? You're running around the you know the world being a La Liga ambassador and doing bits of TV, but he, he loves that too. Um, and he always has time. He always responds. So. Uh, just being on the same stage as him and asking him about his career, which I know is a fan anyway, but just to see it from a different perspective is, uh, is great. It was a very fun chat. We got through a hell of a lot. And, uh, and yeah, and World Football Summit, you know, continues to expand. It's one of my, my really sort of favorite clients because we, we started in Madrid. Uh, we went to uh, Kuala Lumpur with this event. Next is uh, Madrid again and then Durban. So that's, that's the next abroad one outside Europe. So I was going to ask, in terms of doing something like that, where it's high-profile players, you're mm. on a big stage, the pressure's kind of on you as the host a bit to make it all click and as fun as possible. How do you approach it and what's your kind of prep for something like that? So first of all, I will always reach out ahead of time. I always try and at least have a call, if I can, with whoever it is that's managing it on their side. It, it could be a, a PR person, it could be an agent, it could be the players themselves, and that's often better because then you can really get a read on them and their personality and what they want to talk about because I think it's a mixture of what you want to talk about and what they want to talk about. And of course, we were there on this stage. It was a, uh, an event about football in Asia and about La Liga internationalizing and, and the impact they're having in, in that region. So we needed to cover off a few things there. But of course, you know, what a lot of people in the room wanted to find out about was, was their careers and, and some stories and some anecdotes. So when I actually prep for something like this, I do reach out ahead of time and I try and get those tales you know already prepared in their minds because i always say that you know the best stories are the ones that are personal that connect that are funny that are moving yes of course we might have to tick some boxes along the way but that's what really connects with people so trying to elicit those sort of things um and then just sort of it's it's a i'd say it's a sort of a joint project between yourself and the interviewers now they might not have the time so i will often take I suppose, the, the, the brunt of the work on it. And I will prepare a sort of rough, not a question list, I don't like being too prescriptive, but areas of discussion. And then they will know what's coming and they will have a think about it and they can deliver some good answers. But at the same time, it sort of feels a bit more spontaneous. But for me, the planning is so, so key, not just for the interviewing and you know panel setup side of it but for the whole event to get across you know areas that you didn't necessarily know about uh, i don't mind admitting that there are blind spots in my knowledge they're always going to be and just try to shore yourselves up on those and and really kind of get a, a a good grasp of everything um so that's as far as prep is concerned a lot to do with speaking to them first finding out about them as a person and trying to get their stories you know almost like they're primed so that they can then roll them out on stage and it, and it looks all effortless really and what's your tone that you like to take because oh, people have different ways in which they like to pro some people especially if you listen to the world of podcasting some are almost on a level and speak as much as their guest others are very quiet others are quite prescriptive in kind of the set how it goes what's your take on it so i think the whole purpose of this is to hear from them uh, as much as you know i like to converse and chip in i think people are there especially at this event to hear from the guests, to hear from the contributors, and there was four of them. So I think that I shouldn't even be a fifth of the time. I should be less than that. But there are times when actually you want to reflect on things, or you want to add some context that maybe they haven't in their own answers because of the audience that you've got. And of course, remember that this is for a live event with an audience, which is different sometimes to a podcast, I guess. Uh, so I would rather try and elicit the best answers by asking the right questions. But at the same time, you've got to remember it, it's a conversation. 
I don't like it seeming too much like an interview. I like it just being a chat. And whenever I have guests in my studio, I remember actually when I had Robert Perez, who's also a La Liga ambassador, he's, he's become a good friend as well, but um, someone who was in, in sort of in charge of him, managing him, was keen to get him doing more stuff. And because he knew me, he decided to put in touch in, with me and we saw a decent game that he could come in and be a, a pundit on. And I remember that I spoke to the guy before he said, oh, Robbie, Robbie can get a little nervous. I was like, okay, all right, well, we had a chat. And, and I just sort of settled him down. And we watched the game. I said, okay, I'll probably be asking about this. And, but we got to know each other a little bit. And I think he felt safe. And therefore, he just seemed more comfortable. And I think that's part of your role, really, is as much as asking the right questions, is making your panel or your guest feel at ease. And that's my style. I'd rather be like that sort of, welcome into my sitting room rather than Paxman style, you know, hammering Michael Howard with the same question 14 times until you get the answer you want. That's not my style. But you don't tend to get that in sport, do you? <laughs> well, I think Gary, Richard, Gary Richardson does it. Gary Richardson, I think, has always a much more of a yes, no style of questioning. I've always thought that open questions are better, partly because obviously how, what, where, why, etc., allows your interviewee to give an answer that is expansive. But at the same time, you've sometimes got to you know, go for the jugular a little bit or, or, or put the pressure on. I think sometimes it depends what the, the nature of the interview is. And if I've had to be more journalistic, I've always said I'm never going to shy away from asking a question. And, and sometimes actually you do it for confirmation of information. So someone might say something and it sort of slipped, slipped out. And I've kind of thought, oh, is that what they've really said? Is it, can, can I just check that? And, and I don't mind actually almost admitting I didn't hear it first time around. Again, it's part of being human and, and, and that connection. Can I just check you said that? You, am I right in saying you, you said this? Does that mean X? And therefore, of course, that's a yes or no question. Sometimes you have to be more direct. But overall, I think that basic rule of thumb of ask those open questions is a good one to start off with. That opens up the conversation. Then when you feel like you need to go in a little bit tighter on certain topics, you can be a, a little bit more direct. But, but overall, tone-wise, I think it's, it's to do with what suits your personality. Now, it might suit Gary and it might suit Jeremy to be more direct. It doesn't really me. I'm not confrontational. I'd rather, you know, someone, if they are going to let something slip, they do so because actually they feel so comfortable that it just comes out and they're happy to talk about it rather than they're under this sort of duress and pressure that the host has put upon them. There's going to be context sometimes because presuming Sky Sports, they need that kind of journalistic part where you need a headline, you need something from an interview that you don't necessarily need to get from a, if you're on stage or on a podcast. You know, but you don't want to be seen bland, but you don't want to be too direct with them. It's quite I, a fine I think it's, balance. It's, ba it's balance. I remember when I was at Radio 1 and I did a lot of interviews, both with fans and with players and managers when I was at Radio 1. And actually, it was a really formative time in my career. And uh, I think I really grew as a broadcaster during those eight years. And I remember that, you know, the goals of an interview were to get a line. So so-and-so has admitted that or um, X says that, you know, they can't win the title or whatever. That's that headline that you were saying or you get some sort of entertainment value out of it. And that could be just their character expressing itself. It could be the nature of a, an exchange and that it adds a different kind of value. And I'm not a comedian, so I'm not gonna try and be funny myself, but I'm gonna try and get them to come out with something that they actually enjoy talking about. So I remember asking, you know, uh, Jensen Button, uh, the year that he won the title, so he was in a bit of a more jovial mood than other times. Um, so he was, he was, you know, really enjoying doing interviews for you know for the first time really after you know some bad years and bad cars 
and I sort of said, okay, tell us a little bit about your setup here. So you've got your, you know, your caravan out back with all your mod cons. He's like, yeah, yeah, I've got my DVD player. I've got, you know, all my selection of this, that, and that. It's, it's a bit like a hot rod, really. And he just goes on, he suddenly starts expressing himself in a different way. Uh, or, or actually, sometimes it's, it's, sometimes you step out of format. So you decide to do something a little bit more quick fire, or we did like a mastermind version with Jensen Button, um, but with some deliberately set traps for him to fall into or you know, answer the previous question or something like that. And, and again, those are the little set pieces that can bring the best out of an interviewee, which for me is the goal. You know, the reporter's never the story. Um, it's not about, about me doing it. It's about it being done and the output being, you know, of the best quality that it can be. Was this something you always wanted to do? Do you know what? It was something that grew over time, but having done a little bit of writing and then doing student radio, early on, that's when it really clicked that so this is what I felt I had a natural aptitude for. And then when BBC Talent happened, and, and honestly, Dan, to this day, I still don't know how or why, but entering that campaign, whittling down the numbers, getting to the final, winning it, and the prize was a, a contract with BBC Sport, I honestly don't know how or why that happened, but it did. And obviously I was gonna use it as best I could. And then I think it really occurred to me that this is something that I can push here. Um, because I've got this this contract, but also I, I'd had that experience of those few years to really get me into it. And, and I think actually, again, when I was at Radio 1, because that was when I was more in control of what I did, I could dictate my timetable a bit more, I could dictate what we did, I could suggest, oh, we should go here, or we can try and get this interview. And of course, having such a huge audience, you know, 13 million listeners a week, etc., allowed me to have more of a case with the FA, the ECB, you know, the Premier League, to, to get decent interviews, because I knew that they would get the benefit of that huge reach and that demographic, you know, a younger demographic, which is often harder to reach. So I decided, you know, that, you know, the interviewing side of it is quite, it's quite detailed, it's quite psychological. Um, I really enjoyed getting into that and learning about it. And, and even with fans, because a lot of what we did at Radio 1 was around Vox Pops. We're trying to find ways of being distinctive to Five Live or BBC News 24 as was then. And I thought, you know what? Maybe the fan's voice is the way to do this. And this is before Copper 90 and before, you know, other people have really invaded and taken over that space. And we decided to create this sort of network of what we call pet fans. So we'd have every Premier League club and in the SPL as well, uh, a fan who was the rep for that club. And I would often meet them and we'd go and do things and, and get to know them. And I found, you know, that the relationship between you and them depended on how you held yourself. So if you were very formal, they would become formal. But if you were a bit more relaxed, then they would also relax. They mirror what you do because you're supposedly the professional. And, uh, and I remember doing an article for Press Gazette. Um, I don't know, does it still exist? I don't know if Press Gazette still exists. I, I remember doing it a long time ago though. But uh, they asked me, well, because you do a lot of Vox Pops, would you do something on the art of the Vox Pop? I was like, oh, goodness, I'm gonna have to get all sort of, you know, intellectual about this. But it comes down to simple sociology and psychology and reading, I suppose, body language and sometimes you have to spend a little bit more time with people to settle them down and get them a bit calmer or or just less jittery or you know people do very strange things when it's you just put quite a hard microphone with the fans as well who aren't used to having a microphone thrust in their face well i don't know if you find this i mean you're the you know the don of interviews you know so i kind of sense that you, you've probably had the situation <laughs> a little bit more than me definitely the other way uh, around <laughs> no 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 but i find it when you when you're interviewing someone do you find that someone takes the mic off you i, I that happens quite a lot in, in, you know, rather than they let you put the mic to their mouth, they will actually hold it themselves because they want that moment of holding the I mic. Think it it depends the same a, you watch a Arsenal fan TV or something, 
Yeah. But that's a very different style. You know, you've got people who are, want to have a voice yes. in the immediate aftermath of something that's got them really passionate. Yeah, yeah. They will want that moment because they're yeah. battling a hundred other people who are also crowded around trying at that moment. Yes, and that, but that's sh- that's shown physically by that simple motion of grabbing grabbing the microphone. I don't think I've ever had anyone kind of literally. I was probably because I've had more than one microphone. I'm well, maybe generally yes. interviewing one yes. person. Yeah, I mean, I think um, when you when you're there with your little sort of starter kit, you've got your you know your MP3 recorder or your flash mic or whatever it is that people use these days, and it's just that one mic. It's almost like this this sort of power, this authority. I have the mic, I'm speaking now. Uh, and, and I find it's really strange that, you know, it r- sometimes disrupts the flow of a conversation. If you're constantly passing the mic to someone and they're passing it back to you, if they're just speaking into it, then it's just easier and you can just get that flow a little bit better. But it, in any case, I think, you know, it's a lot to do with understanding who you're speaking to, getting a read on them. It, you will never become their best friend in the space of two minutes before you do an interview, but just trying to get a little feel for what they respond to. And eventually, once you've got you know, enough of, I suppose, a, a database of those situations in your head, you'll know how to approach each of them. And listen, I, I've spoken to um, fans who've given me a very hard time because their team have lost and they don't want to speak really, but they want to have a rant, but you know, they find the whole thing very intense. And other people who've been you know, elated, people who, who are so emotional they can barely speak. And yet you know that all of these things are gold because of the connection. You don't want something too flat and bland. Uh, you don't want someone who's media trained or polished. You want someone with that raw emotion. I think, you know, you learn how to read those different situations so you can really elicit that from them. Can you remember your first interview? Kind of- I, I think so, yeah. Um, partly because it was horrendous. How long ago were we talking? Um, nine, it was, the thing is, it was actually quite a big name. It's a student it was, radio time. It's a student right? radio time. So, so I was at uh, university in Oxford and there was, and there is, a, an institution called the Oxford Union. And they have, of course, big debates and they have big guests. And people like Hector Bayerin has gone there and, you know, other current sports stars. And I went to the Oxford Union and David Ginler was speaking there. Now, this is a, a real example of how I wasn't judging the situation well. I think you actually listed this as your worst interview at one point. Yes. Yes, it is. It is probably still. So I started with a very low bar. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the answer to that. No, so so it's, it's the first one I can remember because... I went to the Oxford Union, I, I heard the Q&A that he did for about an hour and a half with uh, a number of uh, you know, different students who were their members of the union who could attend this. And of course, after that, I'm waiting for my own personal interview. But what has David been doing for one and a half hours? Answering questions. What's the last thing he wants to do? Answer more questions. And of course, I hadn't really realized this, even though I've been sat through it. And of course, all the good questions have gone in the sense of they've already been asked and he's already answered them. So then I, I remember sitting down in this tiny little room, like a tiny little box room. And he comes in, he just sort of plonks himself down on the, on the chair as if to say, right, let's get this done with. And my first question, because he was at Tottenham at the time was, David, so uh, are you happy at Spurs? So obviously it's a close question. And being David Ginola and being a bit tired of the whole thing, he just went, yes. And, and, and that was that. <laughs> so I should have learned and gone, okay, hang on a minute. I now ask an open question, but I didn't. My, my follow-up was even worse. My follow-up was, really? <laughs> He's giving like, yourself time to think of the next one. I know, and he just goes, but yes. And out of the whole interview, which I don't know how long it lasted, it must have felt like hours for me because it was just so painful. And for him, I think, I think I got, probably. <laughs> um, probably felt longer than the actual original Q&A of the Oxford Union. Uh, I think I got like a one eight-second clip out of the entire thing that was worth using. But shortly after that, and I think this is really interesting. They didn't put you off? No, no, I don't think so. I, I think I 
saw it as a lesson immediately. I thought, right, that didn't go well. Uh, I got to sharpen up. But admittedly, I was in a situation where I think he wasn't in the best of moods and, uh, and, and I didn't know enough about what I was doing. And so I had to kind of, you know, actually almost forget the Q&A that had gone before because those questions are still valid for me. They haven't been recorded. So actually I can still use some of them or, or, or reversion them or yeah. whatever. Yeah, you could go, that was a really interesting point. Could you expand upon yeah, and dive exactly. into a certain part? Yeah, exactly. Um, but I was, I was, you know, 18, 19. I didn't really know what I was doing. But I do remember as well, and it was a nice little counterpoint, a very different experience after that. I went to a sort of event. I can't remember where it was. I think it was somewhere like the Grosvenor. It was somewhere really posh in London. And I went again with my, my Marantz, as well as what was a tape recorder um, back in the day. So I actually joined media just as, as, as kind of real was, was being phased out for digital. So lit I have cut, I have cut tape with, you know, with chalk and a chinograph. Yeah, exactly. All of that stuff I did right, but literally for, for months only, but I still had that experience, which and I, I you know, taped it back up and, and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And, and I actually quite enjoyed it, bizarrely. Editing these days is a bit easier, admittedly. But I remember going with my Marantz's cassette recorder and interviewing Jim Rosenthal. And I remember at the end of it, I, I don't think I did a, an amazing job, but he just said, that was a really good interview. You know, really well done. And, you know, Jim Rosenthal at the time was the, one of the most premier ITV TV. Football. Right. And I just sort of thought, wow, that's, that, that, just, that, that, that boost, you can ride on that for months. But it takes a lot, and I try and do this, you know, when people do do, you know, uh, do make an effort, do put themselves out of their comfort zone to tell them. Because you can just go, yeah, thanks for that, cheers, bye. But he did say that, and you know the impact that it will have. And, and I think it is a responsibility that we all have. When you're in a position, I suppose, of authority or that people respect or in weird ways cover or, or you're desperate to have. And uh, Sky Sports News being what it is these days, I think, you know, you see on Twitter people say, in their biog, aspiring Sky Sports News presenter. Um, so you know that people are, uh, you know, I suppose, at least very respectful of what you do. I think it's right then that you give back uh, as much as you can. I know we all have busy lives and things, but um, with, with, with certain things that I have, that I, I try and be a bit more of a mentor and try and give people good advice because that's how this industry works. You know, you, you, you get in, you, you rise up the ranks if you can, and then you try and give back so that the next person can, can do that too. And, and Jim Rosenthal did that for me. David less so, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he gave you a lesson in a different way. Yes, he did, yeah, yeah. You're supposed to get that early. Yes. And still going, actually, I want to still do this. Yeah, completely. It's like, you know, it's that, that, you know, that teenager who's come through the youth ranks and he gets, you know, he has a bad training session or, you know, he misses a sitter or whatever, and the, the manager goes... You know, all right, back in tomorrow, see how you go. How do you, how do you judge that with people? Because you must know with people, okay, this is going to be a difficult one. This person's not in a great mood. So it could be in football, someone's just got relegated or lost a fight or crashed in a Grand Prix. Well, I'll tell you what, mind if I tell you another little story, which is on that kind of, uh, on that kind of, I suppose, uh, that, that topic. Uh, Mick McCarthy... Uh, I think it was, I want to say 2000 and... I can imagine he's not a great person who's do, been better do you know, times. Do you know what? It's, it's, it's really strange. It's, it's, very, uh, it's very unpredictable with Mick. And, and I actually really like Mick. I think my, Mick gives, gives you value. He gives he's honest. You, he's honest and sometimes he's quite funny. But also sometimes he thinks he's funny. So it's a really funny you know, situation. It depends you know, what Mick you get. So I remember he was Wolves manager... Oh, I think it must be late 2000s. And they went to Chelsea, and this was the season that Chelsea were smashing teams seven or eight at home. They, they were so dominant at home. And Wolves went there, and they shouldn't have lost, but they did lose, and it was only 2-0. 
and I was trying to think of a way of phrasing an opening question. This was for, for final score and match of the day at the time. So I was reporting for final score in the game and then the interview would go out, bits of it would go out on match of the day. And my first question was a bit too deferential. It, I, I kind of tried too hard to appease. And actually I should have thought, hang on, he's just gonna be, it's just gonna be a bit miffed, so just play it straight. But what I did, I said something like, well, Mick, some teams have come here and got battered seven or eight, you know, by Chelsea this season. Uh, you know, your, your team at least gave a good account of themselves. And his response was, well, I don't know about you, but I think that's a bit condescending. And I was like, what? Seriously? And, and I tried to stand up for myself at the start. I said, we see the point I'm making, you know, Chelsea have been very dominant at home. You've lost 2-0. You know, maybe this is a game you didn't deserve to lose. You must be proud of your players or something like that. And I think we both then nuanced what we were doing. So I kind of dropped back off and he also, you know, had gone in with two feet studs up and decided to, you know, pull his studs out of my leg and, and back off. It's funny because actually I thought I'd, I'd done okay in terms of holding my own there, but maybe I just should have just been straighter with that first first question. I see him later in the season. Wolves go to Manchester United. Again, they play very well. Again, they don't deserve to lose. And this time I obviously had learned. And I'd said, make your assessment of those 90 minutes. And I just kept it very, very straight. Something that he couldn't really... Because, of course, managers in that moment don't want to speak to anyone. And you've got to appreciate the emotion that they are feeling. They are the central figure through through which everything runs. You know, a player, sure, it's frustrating, but a manager is the one under pressure and has to then answer those questions. And at the end of that interview, he gave me a really nice answer. He sort of said, well, I know that Alex Ferguson will want to give me a glass of red wine, but it will taste like vinegar to me. And it was nice. And it was just a nice little kind of like sound bite that it would end on. And I knew that that would run on match of the day, and it did. And when I've seen him since, like, even other things, like, you know, I, I, he was he was Ipswich manager. I accident said, uh, you know, and, and since you've been in charge of Norwich, and it was the worst. Like, this is live on Sky Sports News, and then he and he said, uh, "David, I think you mean Ipswich." I was like, "Oh, hang on, what am I talking about? Sorry, school." And you've got to just be straight, and you've got to be honest, and maybe, you know, leave any ego at home. And, and I tried to anyway, but I think you know the fact that I just said, "Oh, so sorry," complete schoolboy error there. Don't know what I was talking about. Ipswich, obviously, and you've got to show your own personality. I think he respects that. I think what he doesn't like is someone who tries to be something then that, that they're not. And, and I think that's a really good sort of overall rule, really, is, you know, whatever it is that you are, I'll happily admit when I get something wrong or something slips. I think people appreciate that. People know that things go wrong on TV, whether it's you, you, you slip with a bit of knowledge or whether it's a technical fault or whatever. As long as you recover, it's more how you get up rather than how you've fallen down. Is that something you learn, those kind of recovery techniques? Because uh, I don't know, if, you know, I often, my memory is terrible. So, like, now, I, you know, I'm looking at thinking about what questions I should be asking, what where I take it next. But I know when I'm doing that, I'm not 100% listening to that. It's always a balance, and sometimes, isn't it? And sometimes you just have those moments where it's kind of like, just, goes, the moment comes, yeah. and you're like, I know the sentence is about to finish. Oh, crap, where am I going? <laughs> I can't remember what I was going to yes. do. <laughs> yes, yes, it absolutely happens. And then you find ways of of kind of tidying yourself over a little bit until the, the, the thought re-clicks and your brain gets back into gear and you know where you're, where you're going. Um, I think it depends whether it's live or pre-recorded. Obviously, if it's, if it's pre-recorded, you know that you can edit you it afterwards and you, you get, get away with more and then you can just... Uh, often when I did pre-recorded interviews, and there were quite a few for, for Radio 1, often in very tight duration, so they would be edited anyway. You know, you get an interview with, like, say, Wayne Rooney or Kevin Peterson, it would be 1 minute 30, that was it. That would be the, because the, the whole of the sport on Newsbeat on Radio 1 would be two minutes 30. So, you know, if you didn't want it to be all of the interview and you had to do with other stories, then that's, that's actually probably the average length of my interview fully done, edited. And so, of course, I would go and de-arm and de-er bits and, you know, it would, it would be, in that sense, super tight. 
and actually I would I can I can hear myself when I was doing those interviews editing myself as I was asking the question so you'd start something you'd start slip or stumble or something and you'd stop and then you'd ask a question again and you'd know that that second bit would be the fresh start and that's where you'd cut so you you, you actually do that a little bit on the fly anyway it's a bit like people who commentate for match of the day on just on the highlights they know they're commentating for the edit not for the live game they're two very different things but yeah the, the recovery techniques I think to be honest Again, it comes back to having some self-belief, some self-confidence, being who you are and being honest, being honest with the audience. I, I remember actually reading out loud, auto cue, a link on Sky Sports News, and I can't remember what the story was, but it was something, you know, fairly innocuous. And I just completely stumbled over like, literally each one of the first five words. And I just went, I'm really sorry, that was totally rubbish. I'm going to start again and just picked up again. Because I think people just understand you, you, sometimes that happens and you've just got to you know, do it in, in your way yes, thankfully they are human they do stumble up on these yeah, things yeah completely and, and listen of course you try and do it clean and, and most of the time hopefully it's clean but you know, if not then you know, obviously if it's on a fairly innocuous story it's not so harmful but if, if you especially with stories to do with where sports crosses into news death violence drugs money crime you absolutely want to get that 100% right. Um, sometimes even then, there's the odd slip. That's that's inevitable. I, I can't imagine that there's any Sky Sports new presenter or any presenter full stop anywhere in the world who hasn't stumbled at least once on something like that. But the point is, it's it's how you, I suppose, um, you're honest with your audience and how you phrase it and using the right kind of terminology, being careful, just to make sure that you don't say anything that's you know, bounds of taste and decency are being compromised. And, and, and I think that that is ultimately how you, how you get through it. And like anything, it's a skill. It's a skill and you get better at it with time. And you mentioned about Jim Rosenthal and that kind yeah. of giving back and those people you look up to. Mm. What, were there people, certain people in your career that you've looked up to and picked points off or had as mentors through the time that you've, you've almost modelled yourself on? Yeah, so early on, I met a guy called Vassos Alexander, who is um, on the Chris Evans Breakfast Show, yes, yes. Radio 2 now, Virgin and uh, he worked at a company called Sports Media Broadcasting and I did some freelance work for them when I was still at university actually. So this was um, just before BBC Talent happened. So I was freelancing and actually I think, I think I broke university rules here because I went to London and I took the Oxford Tube and then I would go like in the middle of the night and then prep sort of hours of 2am till about 6am. And then I'd be on air for sports media in, in the morning, in breakfast time. We used to do sports bulletins for radio stations who couldn't afford to have their own sports reporter. So we would do it for them and there'd be other ways in which you know that that would, that would work. So I, I, and I met Vassos there. The thing was in terms of university, you're meant to spend a certain number of nights in college. But I blatantly broke that rule because I was on the Oxford Tube doing my shifts in sports media. But Vassos was one of the key guys there, and there was uh, a few of us who were sort of the, the, the main broadcasters. There was Vassos, there's a guy called Andy Burton who also worked at Sky, and he now works um, for Bournemouth Football Club. Myself, um, uh, another guy called Johnny Hart, there's a few of us. But Vassos, I knew you know, straight away, oh, this is, this is a proper broadcaster. I got on really well with him, and, and uh, we were both quite young, making our way in, the, in, in, in media. And of course, he's gone on to, to do what he does now and, and you know, to great acclaim. Um, so he was one of the first people I came in contact with. But in terms of kind of, I suppose, idols, Ian Payne for me on Sport on Five, as it was then before it became Five Live Sports, I remember listening to him and his sort of 
very, very eff it's effortless, very easy style of, of broadcasting, his presenting. I just, I just loved it. And I remember in the late 90s or maybe early noughties, and I was on my, yeah, no, actually it was 2001. I was on my year abroad. Big Talent had happened, but I was still at university. And I went to a game and it was at the Stade de France in Paris and it was Germany against France, or France against Germany in a, in a friendly. And I offered it to Five Live because obviously by then I'd made contact with the BBC and you know, things were going on. And I said, well, look, I'm going to go to the game. I can do a report if you want. And this was, I think, one of the first times I'd ever been on Five Live full stop, but the first time I'd been on with Ian Payne. And so this was like a real weird moment for me. It's like I'm actually broadcasting with my idol. What I hadn't realised was, and again, I'm, getting, I'm painting this picture that I make these terrible mistakes and gaffes the whole time. Maybe I do, I don't know. But on this occasion, they said at the start of the, of the game that there would be fireworks at the end. And again, I hadn't really clocked it. And as I was filing my full-time report, the fireworks started going off in the Stade de France and I couldn't hear Q. I couldn't hear what Ian was saying. And so I was sort of like trying to say deliberately down the phone, can you turn Q up? I can't hear the output at the moment, but I was panicky and I was like, you know, 20 years old. So I then went, ran outside, by which point he'd already thrown to me and I hadn't heard it. And so he's like, David? David, are you there? But well, we can't obviously hear from David Garrido in French or German or any language, in fact. We'll have to come back to him later. And I, I just wanted the, the ground to swallow me up. I was so utterly crestfallen by that, that moment. Uh, and so that was, the first, that was the first time that I'd actually ever been on air with Ian. And then I met him and, and all the rest of it. Uh, but I, God, my goodness, I was just so worried after that. My career had already ended because I just missed this thing. But of course, obviously, it happens. And I think actually what that taught me was instead of trying to be a patchwork of Ian Payne, John Inverdale, Vassos Alexander, all these other people, is that as much as you, you do pick and choose the best bits of those people, you learn what they do really well and you try and emulate it, actually what matters is your own voice that comes through. And it took a while for that to happen. And it, and it you know, eventually did in the, in the 2000s when I was at Radio 1, I developed my own voice, my own style of broadcasting, what I was comfortable with. There was also a guy called Mark Chapman at Radio 1 at the time. I was at Sport Tech Awards, uh, Chappers was, uh, well, was hosting. hosting. Yeah, yeah. The second or third year. And, and listen, I, I love Mark. I think you know, he's got such a unique way of being and it was, it was, he was obviously that kind of slightly cantankerous character on Radio 1 who was originally Sarah Cox's, you know, on her show and then with Scott Mills, etc. And... I think at the start, there was a bit of kind of, who are you? I don't know who you are. And we were sort of sizing each other up. We were both at Radio 1 at the time, only people doing sports. But then I think, I'd like to think anyway, as far as Mark's concerned, I certainly feel this myself, is there was a sort of mutual respect about what the other person did and how they did it. And he was very different to me. And I think it was a weird time at the, you know, in those first few years. Where I was like, do I need to be like another Chappers? But I can't because I'm not like him. You know, I'm not funny. I'm not Northern. Um, I've got a different sort of interests. I, you know, he's really, you know, he's a Manchester United fan. He's, you know, he's really into his cricket. He's really, we had different sort of, I, I like my motor racing. And I think eventually, you know, I just got that confidence, which just comes with age as well, as experience in the industry, to express myself as I wanted to express myself. You care myself. what people think a bit less, don't you? And I think also you just grow. You, you actually just think, well, this is what I'm about. So uh, I think you find your interest as well. I mean, Chappers is, I think, especially good on the NFL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where that combination of the three of them presenting works very, very well. You've obviously got your La Liga, yeah. which is kind of your standout. You're there with your kind of Guillaume Balagues yes. of the world. Yeah. But that's kind of, that's your passion area. Yeah, and it really comes through. I think uh, with, with, with Mark, he is, as you say, brilliant on that show. The, the senses of humour work really well. And he's always had that about him. He's, he's always had this... I don't think he could do it that seriously, can he? No, Probably but there are times... step if, if we needed to. Well, there are times but when... it's not you know, his uh, way he ideally wanted it. No, I think... Listen, I think he is... 
what I found interesting is that after doing Radio 1 for so long, Mark needed to, I suppose, transition into being a slightly straighter broadcaster, doing Five Live, Match of the Day 2. Match of the Day 2 is slightly different. You've still got elements of... of it's you a know, kind of magazine show, isn't it? Yes, and, and you know, that, that fits you know, his, uh, his style um, very, very well. But for Five Live, you know, this is a, a, a national network for the BBC where you have to deal with the tough stories. And, and you know, of course I knew he could, but it means nuancing that style, obviously. And uh, I think that he did that brilliantly well, and I have all, all the respect in the world for Mark. And I think, you know, there are, there are things that suit you know, other, other people in different ways. You know, Colin Murray's also a different kind of broadcaster. Again, ex-Radio 1. Um, He's now going to eSports. Yeah, so Colin, but Colin's got like you know, Colin's got like seventeen favorite sports. Like, but he's really into his American sports as well. Like, he knows a lot about not not just uh, NFL, but NBA and, and hockey and stuff. Um, working on DAZN in in Canada, uh, not not in Canada, but for them in Canada. Uh, and, and I think actually growing up alongside those broadcasters, and particularly those with a sport focus. And, and at that time, Colin was on the Colin and Edith show on Radio 1, so it was music-based and entertainment more than anything else. But, you know, every so often I would ask him, I would, I would do little interviews with them on, you know, something for Newsbeat. And I, maybe it was something like Liverpool against Manchester United, so we put up, you know, Colin against Chappers, or maybe Chelsea involved, and we'd put Trevor Nelson in there as well, or something like that. And, and it was great because these are proper broadcasters. These are the guys who were doing it week in, week out, day in, day out, brilliantly. And, and what better environment for me to to grow up in, you know, I'm so, so appreciative of that. I wanted to ask you about your best interview. You mentioned your worst one. Mm. Your best moments, not just kind of dancing around in the Sheffield Wednesday dressing room. <laughs> which I've sadly seen the video to that. Yep. It's a great dad, dad moves in yeah, there. So th- thanks, early thanks to the uh, ex-Wednesday physio for that one. He uh, <laughs> shoved me in the middle and then filled me. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> but the, um, the best interview, actually, oh, I can think of sort of moments in interviews which I've really enjoyed. Uh, the one that I think got the most attention at the time was the 2006 World Cup. England had got through to the quarterfinals. They'd beaten, I think it was Ecuador in the last 16, and Beckham had scored a goal from a free kick. And so Sven gave the the squad like three days off or whatever before the next game. And Beckham was the one that was rolled out by BFA because obviously, you know, they share those responsibilities, not just captain and coach, but everyone. But Beckham scored the goal. And the way that it works at something like a World Cup, they circulate around the different areas of TV, press, like the main press conference, and then radio. And radio is often the last one that they do. Uh, We were in a little circle, and in the circle, there was an empty seat, that was for David, and then there was someone from Five Live, I think it was Mike Kingham, and then someone from TalkSport, and then the other big commercial radio stations, and at the end was me. So I had the questions that were left over, because you were all miking up all of Beckham's answers, even though you were probably only miking up your own question. But by the end, I sort of came, I just came to the conclusion, I've got to ask him a little bit about you know, his, his, his family, actually. You know, he's got his family over here. And so I said, David, um, you've had a few days off. Uh, Sven's given you a, a few days off since the win. Tell us what you've been up to. And has, has, has Brooken or have, have Romeo actually said anything to you about winning it? You know, actually winning the title? And he said, and he came out with an anecdote. He's like, yeah, actually we were in the garden. And uh, they said, because I assume that in his you know, hotel, they had like a, a bit of open space, had a garden. And we're out there with, with, uh, with Brooklyn. And he said, dad, if we win it, do we get to bring it back to the house? Like, you know, the World Cup. And it, immediately just looking at your reaction, Dan, it makes you smile. You know, it gives you a little insight, a tiniest insight into back Beckham family life. And of course got picked up by the sun or whatever. And, and actually it just gave me, I sort of felt like I'd got a different angle in. All the questions have been answer, asked and answered, you know, but they were about playing 
Portugal next, or they were playing, you know, or, or I don't know, four four two, or a diamond in midfield, or whatever it might well be. But actually, uh, like, like Radio One always said, try and find different added value, something entertaining, you know, or a line. If you can't get a line, then try and get some other value out of it. And uh, and I remember actually there was another one. It, it wasn't at the same tournament. It was sometime after that when Rooney was at Manchester United and he was under real pressure. There was this constant situation with his agent where he was trying to leave, but not really, and they were ramping it up. And I remember there was just this basic uh, exchange between me and him, which is basically a duel. And I, it's not like I'd sort of decided to get all aggressive for once. It was actually that it was a legitimate thing to me to ask him a question. He kept trying to defend it. So I just kept going and he kept trying to defend it. And in the end, it, the way that we introed it on air was like, we spoke to Rainey after the game, make of this what you will. And it was just the actual exchange of it all, which was quite entertaining in the sense of, oh God, you know, David's kind of, trying to get him on the rack here but at the same time really sort of defending it but you know is he saying nothing with his answers and you know and it felt a little bit more journalistic so those are two that really that really stood out but if you're talking about entertainment value then boxers are for me you know you can't really get better than that um james DeGale when he was uh, when he was just starting out so a lot of sort of focus around him and uh, i remember he said you know he was really quite open with the amounts of money that he was being offered for things you know, and boxers are a little bit, aren't they? Yeah, they, they can be. Yeah, uh, look, I think actually it's part of the sport. It's you know they talk about vast amounts of money. Except yeah. this was a little bit. Look, look how much money I'm making. Look, know. it's part of the bravado, isn't it? It's part of that whole trash talking thing. And I think James is just getting into it. But but he was he was just almost completely unaware of the microphone, uh, which is what I love. And that's what I tell people. You know, especially when we have like, we had a boxer in recently who was just fighting on a, on an undercard of a of a fight in London, uh, Bethnal Green. And he, he was very nervous. And I remember being told by the producer, this was literally only a couple of weeks ago. Like he's, he's a bit nervous. So I actually went over earlier than I normally would. And I went and sat with him, you know, in the commercial break and before. And, and you know, I, I just said, look, don't worry about it. Forget about the cameras. They're not really here. You know, it's just, just me and you having a chat. Just, just treat it like that. And the time was ticking down. So it's like, you know, two minutes till we go back on air, blah, blah. And he's like, is it, is it live? And I was like, yeah, yep, yeah, it's, it's live. But, you know, again, don't worry. Just don't think about that. Just think about what you're chatting with me about. And I ran him through, you know, question areas. And, and I think he did settle down a bit. But then again, with five seconds to go, it's like, what now? What really? Like live now? It's like, yep, yep, coming up. Welcome back. Let's <laughs> go straight into the interview. So some people I think, you know, obviously maybe unaware of, you know, exactly what situation they're in when they're in a TV studio. But I think, um, yeah, it again goes back to what we were saying before about making people feel comfortable. And with James DeGale, I didn't need to do that because he was just, you know, the fighter he is and, and the person he is and with this other guy you know he he just needed a little bit of tlc and i think we i think we got him there is there a question that you'd love to ask someone in an interview but for whatever reason circumstance or the fact that it's maybe just not broadcastable mm, i don't know i think you are always aware of what job you're there to do and i always try and kind of keep it sort of within that now look you know as you mentioned the Sheffield Wednesday thing. Um, so I've been, a, I've been a fan all my life and I think I'm fortunate through my job, I get to know players and managers. And I got to know Carlos Carvalhal very well during his time at Wednesday, but also when he went to, to Swansea and we were, we were in touch. It's really interesting actually with Carlos because I think at the start he didn't quite know what I was. He met me at the press conference and he asked me if I was Portuguese because I don't look British. You know, I look like I'm from somewhere else, maybe somewhere Mediterranean, etc. I said, no, 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 I'm, I, I'm a Spanish speaker. My parents are Colombian, but um, no, I'm not, I'm not Portuguese. Anyway, we started chatting away and we got on. And so I got to know him. And of course he's got this thing about anecdote, uh, about um, analogies. And the thing is that actually a lot of the things that 
I wanted to ask him. I only felt like once I got to know him later, I could really ask him. Because at the start, I think he was sizing me up. He was like, are you a fan? Are you a presenter? Are you a journalist? Can you be all three? I was like, well, I'm, I'm all three. And of course, I wanted to ask him about signings. I wanted to ask him about you know, transfer stories, etc. And only afterwards was he able to disclose to me what really went on and how we'd asked for certain players and got these players. And that's where it's quite common. Nothing will necessarily shock it's you. It's quite hard that. sometimes then to, if you know something, but you can't actually say it. Yeah. You also know, well, what's the point? Could I potentially ruin a relationship by doing this? And, and you know, media and, and, and football particularly, well, no, look, all sports, it's, it's about respect and relationships. You know, you know where the line is. And uh, Carlos and I get on really, really well. And when, we, when he, came, he came into the studio recently, we did just a you know a nice little segment with him and we featured some of his analogies and and all the rest of it and uh, and, I, and again it went through this, the same scenario said like come on give me give me some gold here like try and find some anecdotes try and find some fun things you can tell us there's different levels to this he can get, he can admit something or he can say something but that might not be the most salacious you know big story he can admit but to people out there watching it might seem like that oh my goodness look what he said but actually, it's almost like working out what it is. What's that detail you can give? Give me something here that we can that we can get people excited about. And because you know someone, then you can you can almost like not fully choreograph that, but sort of plan it in advance. Just give him that platform to say, well, actually, I got a call from a you know a French club in between the first and second legs of our playoff semi-final. That that didn't happen. It's a sort of example of what he could have said, because they were very keen on taking me on for next season. I I, I you know I rejected it out of hand, but blah blah. Um, that, that's the sort of thing where I could go, well, you can tell us that now. Because, you know, you've, you've, you've been and you've gone and you're looking for another job, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it's, it's, I think sometimes it's working together with that person to work out what's the best sort of tale that you can get out there. Uh, but also you just know as an interviewer where the line is. And, and those who push it are, are taking a risk. You know, unless you have a very, very, very good reason to do so, you know, you risk losing a relationship. So you've got to be very careful because then, you know, word spreads and, you know, oh, can he, can he be trusted or et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I'm, I think I'm relatively good at, you know, at keeping contacts and trying to just keep checking with people. And it's as much that as well, just checking in with people. And, 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 and that's part of, you know, getting interviews and things is that you don't just go off the face of the, of the earth once you've done an interview with them. It's just checking back in with them. And, and, and I think players appreciate that. Like, you know, if someone's, you know, had a good day or a bad day and you just check in and say, hey, how you doing? That you are more than just that journalist who did that interview because those are ten a penny. But if you're actually a bit deeper than that, then I think they appreciate it as well. Now getting towards the end of this fascinating, absolutely fascinating conversation. Oh, but, but listen, it's for, could, for me as well, I have to say, I've, I've never really done one like this. It's, it's, it's really enjoyable. It's quite funny because you speak to people who are used to asking people questions and not used to talking about themselves. When I spoke to Clem a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. And that was a fantastic one. And it was his first time he'd given an interview, I think, since he was like at BBC Middlesbrough or something. Oh, wow. It was the first I time. I found that surprising, time. though, because Clem is such a character and, mm. you know, obviously intrinsically associated with the character, Football League. Again, and and well, I would have thought someone would have done an interview with him yeah. over that time. No, no I think it, it was for a long time. I don't know if it still is, pinned at the top of his Twitter feed. Oh, And that's been awesome. up there for like 18 months or something. Oh, ridiculous. brilliant. And it was fascinating because he actually, at the end of it, because we were filming this, well, we didn't film it, we recorded it at Ball Street's studio. Oh, yeah. Um, so they kind of gave us a kind of an area to do it in. And I was like, okay, one of the things I'm really bad at, I was kind of tapping into his presenting, is when I do, I can't do monologues. Right. 
how can I do something better so it doesn't sound like I'm reading it from a piece of paper? Yeah. So he got me standing at the other side of the room. <laughs> and by the kind of fourth or fifth time you've started, you've done it, you kind of know parts of it. So you're kind of doing some parts of memory and some parts reading. Yes. So you're kind of doing less reading, so you put a bit more Yeah, that's Yeah, that, that, yeah that, I would, that was I would fascinating. That. It, was, it was really enjoyable. I might go back to him and see if I can do because this is a slightly different angle. I might do it. Or I could just re-edit the other one. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. I mean, like, actually, uh, you, don't, you don't necessarily think about it. So the, I, I think I've got similar techniques to, to claim in that respect. If, you know, there's some that's sort of programmed in and there's other... You, you talk around things rather than just deliver something straight verbatim from a, from a script. So what tips or practical tips can you give me? So next time I go out and do one of these, what would be your tips? Now you've listened a little bit to me interview you. This is very You're immediate. On the spot here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But are there any kind of tips or, I, or things that I could practice going away? Well, listen, or, or I think just tips and kind of. You've done. You've done. Uh, listen, you've done a great job. I, I think um, the, the first thing is, is, is uh, not not because you sat next to me, um, because first of all, like I said, it's about eliciting the best responses and the stories from your contributor. Now, look, we obviously had a conversation. There's no, there's no secrets here, guys. We had a conversation before and you told me roughly what, where, where it was going. You didn't need to, but you did, and I appreciate that. And so I had a little read on, you know, what, what this sort of was going to be. So that's great. And you did, did the things that I do, which is reach out, give people an idea, try and make, establish that contact. Uh, and because we've met before anyway and we get, we get on, I think that I always knew that this was going to be a fairly straightforward conversation and nice and enjoyable. And I came therefore prepared with some stories because I knew that this is what, you know, this is what people are interested in, is that, you know, those, those funny moments, those awful moments, Schindler and Beckham and Rosenthal and other people. Uh, so I think that's great. I think, you know, that's what you're meant to do. My, my, you've always got to be aware of what your role is. And your role is to make the best output, to make the best content. And I think some people think that their role is actually about them. No, it's about the work you're doing. And so always having that in mind. Uh, I think you've done it brilliantly here. You know, you just... I would say my job is to basically, the less I talk, the better. Well... Because then it's more, it, it, than, it, it, it's more stories. It, if you have to get more involved, it tends to be, from my experiences, that it's harder to elicit the responses you want, or there might be very short answers. Mm. So you have to interject a bit more. But yes, some sure. people you can just sit right back off and just let them go. Yes, but then I think... It, it depends on the circumstances. Sometimes, but sometimes then it's hard to claw it back. Do you know, who, do you know who's, you who's really good at this um, in terms of the, the the answering bit? Although he will himself admit he is lengthy in his answers, and that's Will Greenwood. It was a really good call actually by the producer at the time. We had it down for like five minutes, six minutes. We decided to do a whole part, which is about twelve minutes, with Will because we had a number of different issues that were quite significant to talk about. One was to do with the anniversary of Bloodgate, which was when. Um, there was players who Dean do you remember Richards at Leicester, that's right and, and there were some other kind of key very newsworthy issues it wasn't just oh what's happening this weekend and what you got on the podcast it was actually sort of real issue led stuff and I think I asked probably three questions in the entire thing but I remember one of them was one that I really sort of tried to nail him down on again you know uh, it was to do with the homophobic comments by Israel Follow and the backing by I think it was Billy Vinopola on social media of those comments and saying, well, should the RFU be a bit more stringent here? Because essentially he is backing someone who's got views which are homophobic. And, and he sort of gave the context, that's fine, okay. But then, Will, are you saying that? And, and sometimes you have to jump in again and actually puncture the, the long wordy stuff. Now listen, he's incredibly compelling as a speaker. 
and it was really good that we gave it that time. Sometimes when you're in a broadcast situation where you've got ad breaks to get in and other stories to get in, your story hour and your story count is, you know, whatever. Sometimes, you, you know, you shove someone in at the end of the hour and it's four minutes. No, 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 no. This deserved the time and it was, you know, exactly the right call. So, so Will is very good at, you know, explaining things. He does it in a really, really compelling way. But at the same time, I had to pinch. I had to pinch a couple of times. And, and you know, I think there's no reason why you can't. If you sense that actually the story isn't going anywhere, then you jump in there and you just try and send it. It's a bit like sometimes, I, I, I obviously love my mum dearly, but my mum will give you all sorts of peripheral detail about a story that you don't need. She's like, you know, she'll tell you about something, she'll want to tell you about something, she, she met her sister or something, and I want to tell you this story, okay. But then she'll tell you what bus she got on, and she'll tell you, you know, what she had for lunch, and that actually the sandwich wasn't the original sandwich that she wanted, and she picked this other sandwich. And I always try and, you know, I'm there like nodding and smiling, that's great, but I know that this isn't the point of the story. So I will sometimes say, in a maybe slightly cruel way, what's the out what was the outcome of that? What was, what was the upshot of that? It's like, get, get to the point. But obviously with Will, it's not like that. But you know, you sometimes have to, if, you, if, he does, if, the, answer is, if the answer isn't there, you go and you find it. You know, okay, but should the RFU have been a little bit harder on, on Billy Vinopola uh, in the same way as Rugby Australia have been with Israel Fallout? So I think, you know, it's a, it's a mixture. You have to judge it. I think it's right. The original sort of point of departure, which you have, which is the same as mine, let the person speak. They're the one here that you're interested in. But then sometimes you need to mix it up a little bit and get in and pinch a little bit and get in tight and, and try and find a, a concrete answer to something. Because sometimes people can, not a bit like me, waffle on and not actually have a point to their I think story. If you're doing a podcast, you're possibly lazier when Maybe. it comes to that because you know you can edit it out and shorten it. Yeah. But as you say, if you're hosting a panel session and you've got four people, you've got another three people who also want to speak yep. and you've got one person you might be dominating Well, that's a whole different art. That's a whole yeah. different art And you well. know you've got half an hour to elicit as much out of these people as possible. It's tough. Without them going, I've just travelled all this way and this is yeah, a waste of time. I've asked, yeah, I've had a one question. The other thing about that, by the way, just because you, you mentioned it right at the start, was that Fernando Morientes didn't really speak much English. So that actually meant that I asked him fewer questions, but they took more time because we were translating. But then towards the end... He came out with this perfect English in one of his answers. I was like, what? And I literally said this to the audience. You can go and see it on Facebook. World Football Summit have put all of their, all of their sessions there. Um, they're filmed and they've put them on there. And I just said, where did that come from? You know, you've just spoken perfect English. We didn't need, you know, I don't even need to translate that. You know, he was speaking. And he's like, yeah, so you didn't need a translator after all. So, yeah, but you're right. I mean, just trying to apportion the time correctly, knowing who's stronger, who's weaker and not, necessarily just letting the stronger ones speak over the others you want to hear from the others you've got to find ways of encouraging them to get into the conversation without asking the same question to four people in a row that on that occasion actually what ended up happening because bizarrely i came up light i was towards the end i was there going oh i've still got time left uh, we get these timing screens obviously on the comfort monitors you can see how much time we've got left and i was waiting for the 10 minute warning and it didn't come up for ages i'm like is time passing really slowly or what eventually it came up but i still had time but we talked about you know some games coming up. i was like right okay so barcelona against liverpool because it was before the first leg when barcelona won three and at the camp now who's going to get through the tie and so we asked each one in turn and then went to the audience and asked them say who's you know who thinks barcelona who thinks liverpool and then the same with Arsenal and valencia because they were english Spanish teams involved and, and you know and, and, and that was quite nice because that was, that was quick fire yes I think if you've got like, yeah. business ones whereas I sport business ones that I come yeah. to yeah. and you're asking okay what's your opinion or what's your prediction for this or what's your trend to watch out for and you're asking some of these panels have like six people on them yeah yeah. I mean, which is just wrong in oh so many goodness. different ways. Oh, I had one, I had one, which I noticed the other day because there was a friend of mine who was moderating it. So I was introducing people on and off stage, but there was one guy who was like, and he always tries to do it towards the end. It's like, sum up in one word and ask all four people. 
and of course, only one only one of them used one word, and it was the last one, just almost to prove it could be done. The other the other three were just going, well, what I would say is it's like, it's not what I'm saying. And sometimes when you're doing it for broadcast, you have to, you know, do, this is the bane of directors. They're there, they want to get the programme off air on time, and you towards the top of the hour, and you've got 30 seconds left, and you're there going, do I ask another question, or do I just have a longer sort of outro? And what I now do is I say, right, we've got 20 seconds left. Just quickly, will Liverpool get through and why? And then they know verbatim that I've told them, you've only got 20 seconds. And if you decide to go over 30 seconds, then I can't do anything about it. I've, I've given you the warning. And, and that way I'll take that risk with a little bit of management. But otherwise, if I'm not sure and that person is going to be going on forever, I'll just go, all right, well, great to speak to you. Thank you so much. Really good to get to your insights. Blah, blah, blah. That's eaten up five seconds. And then I'll just hopefully segue us to the break but you know when you're doing it in a broadcast scenario and you've got those time limitations and you know it, but yeah it, there's, there's all sorts of different levels of complexity with these things you know when you've got a panel as you say what I find is really good though and the, the best moderators are the ones that get the panel to interact with each other that's what because you're not there to see question to A question answer from A question to B yeah, answer I've from always, B I've always done that in terms of okay if you've got a question you want to ask that person just ask them. Yeah. Don't, just don't get wait for me. Yeah. And just I, and have a and, just call, and also make them aware of that they want this to be, look good for, for all sorts of reasons. They're the experts. They're the so experts. They probably have a question for that person that yeah. we're dying to ask. But, they, but you know, you, I suppose it's also part of that whole sort of like, we're working as a team together. We want this to be really good. What works is if actually you jump in on that answer. If you've got another thing to add to that, or if you want to contest it, because sometimes you just think, oh, it's all too agreeing. Everyone's just agreeing. Well, okay, but it's actually... It's part of the organiser putting the right people on the panel. Okay, but equally, I think sometimes, you know, you, you do want to have that little bit of contention. Not everything is just set. It's like, yeah, yeah, we all think this. Yeah, good, next question. You want there to be actually... And, and the best ones, and I always say this when I do bits of media training, is when you're doing panels like that, if you've got a plan, but you've got a really compelling bit where people start arguing a little bit, let that flow. And then you can find ways of cutting back after that. And I, I really enjoy that when you've got panels where actually you kind of go, uh, one of the questions that, that got this in, in the panel with the legends was, was what was the best derby? And so, you know, one of them said Real Madrid against Atletico Madrid. And then someone else said Betis against Sevilla, which is one of the biggest derbies in Spain. And, you know, someone else went for the, the Basque derby, which is Real, Real Sociedad against Athletic Club. And so, you know, actually, you know, you then start debating on it. But why? You know, this is the t two sets of fans that really don't like each other or, you know, whatever it might well be. And that's where you get really compelling panels um, that actually the 40 minutes whizzes by because, you know, the content is, is, is so powerful and really, you know, you, you take notice rather than you sort of like just see the same format, just roll out, buh, 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 and then sort of within 20 minutes, you're sort of slightly dozy. I think I always try and avoid that when I'm moderating and just trying to find those little moments to spark it. And it can either be people challenging each other or it can be a different change of format. You can, might go quick fire a bit. You might involve the audience. All of these different techniques can help you just, you know, make, make that even more, you know, fun to listen to rather than it's just a, a thing that rolls on until it's time for the next one to come on stage. Okay, very, very last one. Yeah, okay. Podcast. Mm. You're into the world of podcasting as I well am. now. With a slight difference because it's a radio stroke podcast. Yes. Why did you go into this new world, or not so new world, this trending world these yeah. days? Yeah. Oh, look, I think, I think podcasting is a, a really fertile ground. I think, especially in Britain and in the US, there's a real sort of appreciation of, of decent podcasting and, and all sorts of different content areas. So it's part of a, a Spanish football content hub, which I uh, am part of and help create, called La Liga Lowdown. And we felt that 
one of the things we really wanted to do and do well was a podcast. And so I have um, contacts in the podcasting world and one of them is a group called Redis Sakanov, who make the Football Ramble, which is one of the most successful football podcasts there is, also on the continent, and a whole bunch of other ones which are really, really interesting. One's called Wrestle Me, one's called Abroad in Japan, one's called Burkhamsted Revisited, which is about this uh, girl who's was also actually involved in, in sport, a girl called Laura who um, goes back through her teenage diaries in the 2000s. So it's both about the 2000s and her being a teenage adolescent. And, and it's fascinating. And I really enjoy listening to all of these pods and we're part of that network. So, so we produce our own one, but we decided that we wanted to go more down a kind of produced route. So not like this at all, but given that I was sort of grown up through Radio 1 Newsbeats and the Newsbeat 15 minute programs, I wanted the pod to sound a bit more like that. So with music, with beds, with stings, with, with vox pops, with different voices. And that was its identity because actually when I looked at the Spanish football podcast market or Spanish football in English podcast market, and they're all two or three people talking basically. And mine always wanted to be a little bit more lively than that. Now look, these are really good pods. There's nothing wrong with any of them. But if you're gonna enter a market and offer a product which is the same as everyone else's, because we all round up the weekend, basically, or the match day, and talk about other things, then try and offer something different. And that's what, that's what we try to do. So we did that, and we did it with Register Karnov and their backing, and it's great because we've got all those other pods and their you know, immense knowledge of podcasting and, and, and the, the cross-promotion we get. And also, Sirius XM, which is a satellite radio station in the United States, were looking for La Liga content. And so they went to La Liga, and La Liga said, how about David? And so I said, well, great, let's talk about it. But of course, they are a radio station, which means that they have program hours or half hours. And they listened to the pod and they said, well, that's great. But any chance you can stretch it out to 24 minutes? Because it was actually originally shorter. It was around the 20 minute mark. And I said, yeah, I think we could do that. Of course, it gives us more time, but it means it has to be 24 pretty much on the dot every time. Um, so, yeah, so what we do is we, you know, we, we, we do it uh, on a Sunday or a Monday and then we, we send it over to, to uh, Reddit Sakhanov. They ch ch check through. They're, they're very tight on, on those audio nuances that I'm learning about, but they're, but they're very, very good on that. And then, and then I'll send it off to Sirius and, and they put it out. And it's really great because it means that we've got this, this footprint in the United States. And yeah, we've, we've become a little family, which is, which is really, really nice. And I think actually we goes back to what we were saying about mentoring and, and, and trying to make people improve. You know, you talk about people like Sid Lowe and Guillaume Balaguer Graham Hunter. Obviously immense respect for all of those guys. You know, I've read all their books. They're, they're, they're incredible, you know, media professionals. But these guys, I think, you know, the next, you know, the, the next one's off the rank. And uh, Ewan has written two books and he's 25. You know, he's an incredible... Uh, he's a phenomenon. He's going to be brilliant. Baco is a real life why he lives in Valencia. He's done radio before, but he's got a way of expressing himself that's, you know, really endearing. Uh, and the other guys too. And I think, you know, I try and give them, I suppose, the benefits, if you could call it that, of my 20 years of experience in media to really everything that they do, both video-wise and audio-wise, to just help improve them. They, they wouldn't have a platform otherwise. They, they probably wouldn't have created one themselves, but we have as a group. And then being the most experienced one of the lot and a hell of a lot older, hell of a lot older than most of them. Uh, trying to just give them little tips, little things that they can work on. It can be mic technique. It can be just the phrasing of, a, of, a, of an art, you know. And, I, and when, we re, when we do the chats and we record them, I'm like, right, let's do it again. But actually on that answer, I want you to take me from A to B to C, but just, you know, using 10 less seconds. Do, let's do it again and try and encourage and try and get them formed a bit more as, as broadcast. And I think they will all say, 
that they have, you know, improved in that in that respect. So hopefully now they go into the world of media, whatever they do after this, armed with some of those skills. And and it's been a real privilege for me to to help them with that. It's really, as I say, a big part of what I think we should all be about because it's an incredibly sought after industry to work in. And therefore it's right that you should pass that on and give people a little bit of a leg up wherever you can to allow them to, to do the same thing in future. David, I'm also very thankful of this opportunity. Oh, no, not at all. Not it's at been all. an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank Likewise. You no, I've really thanks, enjoyed it. Thanks for taking the time out of the bank holiday as well. Anytime, anytime. Anything else you need, give me a shout. Thank you very much. A tub-thumping way to kick off table stand. Now, there's a word not used very much these days, and probably rightly so. Thanks to David for his time. Do make sure you sign up to his podcast to search for La Liga Lowdown to get your Spanish football fix. Links, as always, will be in the show notes. I took so much away from this session. As with it being the first one, it helped to shape how I approached the interviews that followed it. From making sure people feel as comfortable as possible to how to deal with Mick McCarthy, a man who comes up not just in this episode as one who can be hard to handle. At least I'll be prepared in case I do come face to face with him one day. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and what you took from it. Get in touch on Twitter at, at Daniel McLaren and Instagram at Daniel J McLaren or head to our anchor page and leave a voice message on there. Thanks for getting through to the end. Remember to tune in to the other podcast I've kicked off with from the dynamic duo from the Creative Rebels podcast. And remember to subscribe or follow Tables Turned so you don't miss episodes as they come out. Thanks to the talented Tim Key for the logo design and to you for listening. Take care of yourself and I'll see you again soon.